What is going on everybody? The Falcon and the Winter Soldier episode 3 Power Broker has just been released on Disney+. Plus. I've got Aiden Michaelis and Gabe Bale here with me on the line. We're going to be breaking down this episode and seeing what's going on inside. So, hey Siri, play Aerial Oversight episode 4 introduction. Playing MCU Unmasked Aerial Oversight episode 4 introduction. Initiate in 3, 2, 1. Alrighty, how's it going everybody? I'm Ryan Hess here with Aiden Michaelis and on the line we've got Gabe Bale. Gabe, say hello to the audience out there. Hello audience out there. Awesome. Alright. There hey. we go. So we're finally here together. We're going to be breaking down this episode. So uh, yeah, let's just get started. So right away we see um, a commercial for the GRC. The GRC or the Global Repatriation Council is an advertisement there and it just shows them that um, it's basically for rep refugees, um, for the people who were blipped away after Thanos' first snap in Avengers Infinity War. Um, it's just basically them getting resources and other things to help out the uh, blip refugees. Right. And we see right away Captain America, John Walker, is um, obviously a part of this because he's riding in one of their vans and the first thing we see of the episode is really his shield um, after he gets or right before he gets out of the car um, and actually before we actually get started with the episode I just want to point out the fact that John Walker the actor Wyatt Russell is actually receiving death threats for playing Captain America I heard about that which is completely ridiculous in my opinion I I agree I you know, when a care when a person in real life decides to take on a character in a movie or a TV show, like that's not their actual like personality. That's not their actual like identity. If you watch anything with Wyatt Wyatt in it, he's a great guy. He's very friendly. He's very mm -hmm. he talks and he's very nice. And I mean, he seems like a genuinely nice person. And it's I don't want to say frustrating, but it is kind of sad to see someone who's like him and he's really nice. And honestly, the way he's been handling those threats have have been really good. Um, but at the same, he's an actor, you right? Know? He's playing at the end of the, the day. Part. Right. He's not Chris Evans. He's not Steve Rogers, and he is Captain America, but in this role. So, like I said, that's completely just ridiculous. Yeah, that I've, this I is heard happening. about that, and I, um, yeah, I just don't agree. There's been a couple instances of, instances of that happening, you know, um, as of late, just with cancel culture and everything. Um, people just getting like death threats over a character they played in a TV show or in a movie, and it's like, you know, those people don't don't accept or um those people aren't who they play on tv or in the movie you know they're doing that part to make money and you know expand their acting career exactly yeah um john walker yeah he is we we heard Wyatt russell actually he deleted a majority of his social media i think yeah i saw that you know just because he doesn't want to deal with that stuff and that's good for him a good thing to do um walker is Walker and Battlestar, Alomar Hoskins, they're finding, they're trying to find Carly Morgenthau, and they're trying to uh, stop her from uh, making more super soldiers or whatever she plans to do with uh, the serum that she, we think she has, or we find out later that she does have um, in the later of the episode. Um, we see Walker is actually really conceited, and it seems like he fights for really only the United States um, when he asks the guy who's, who's, they're they're trying to find Carly Morgenthau when they yeah. asked him who where they are like the refugee holder right that's it uh, when they ask him where Carly is and where her people are um, he just doesn't respond and then he lashes out at him he's like it's on John Walker and John Walker like throws him throws him into a wall 
or does he punch him? Either way, he does. He just spits on him. He doesn't do anything, but yeah, he wipes the spit off. But that's just showing us as an audience that this is not the Captain America that we knew. Right. You know, this isn't Steve Rogers, Chris yeah. Evans, Captain America. You can also tell that John Walker is only fighting for the United States by the way that it's the only language he speaks. Yeah. You see, right as the episode begins, he's not able to communicate with anyone because the person that was housing the refugees, even though Carly Morgenthau's already gone from that location, only right. speaks German. And as soon as he approaches John Walker with German, he has no idea how to respond. Mm-hmm. But Battlestar is able to speak the German. And then earlier in episode one, you see the Falcon being able to speak Arabic. And we've seen Bucky speak many things, Russian, Romanian, English. Yeah, it seems They're like... all multilingual, showing that they're right. borderless. But John Walker, only American. Yeah, And you can also tell with Lamar Hoskins that um, he, from the shots that we see of him and the cuts away from John Walker when he's being his John Walker character, um, he's a little iffy about John Walker's motives, I want to say. Um you know, just the way he looks around after the camera cuts to him and things like that. So you can tell that there's a difference definitely between John Walker, Captain America, and anyone else that's been on screen so far, I want to say. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. It does seem it does seem like um, Battlestar's... At the beginning, he was like, hey, man, you got this. You're Captain America now. Like, you got to, you know, be for the people. And as the episodes kind of get along, you kind of see Battlestar, I think, start to question... John Walker's motives and maybe, you know, question his friend and mm-hmm. his ideas. And um, and I just think that John Walker is losing himself in the idea of him being Captain America. Like when he approaches that refugee housing guy and he goes, do you know who I am? Like Steve Rogers, um, Chris Evans, Steve Rogers, I should say, would never um, have like done that or used his name as power. Like mm-hmm. I just think. Um, battle and Battlestar sees. I think John Walker is definitely losing his way um, from like the main Captain America ideal to like whatever he's trying to become, which is this new weird Captain America supremacist type guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, we see after that, um, you know, it's just a bunch of cockiness and it's ridiculous that you know Captain America would never act like that. Um, after that, we cut to. From the last episode, we see that Sam Wilson and Bucky Barnes are going to get Zemo. They're going to get Helmut Zemo. Um, and he's in prison at this point, but Bucky decides to go in alone to visit him. And as he walks through the door, we hear uh, Henry Jackman's Zemo melody uh, soundtrack from the introduction to Captain America Civil War. Um, and that just gives us a little bit of throwback, callback to that movie. Um, and you can hear the first words out of, out of Zemo's mouth um, are the Winter Soldier activation words in the, uh, the hi- actually, Russian Hydra. I actually What's know that? those. You do? Yeah, off the top of my head, actually. Off the top of your head? In uh, Russian? Yeah, kind of, I mean, it's poor Russian, but yeah, I can do it. I didn't know you spoke Russian. Well, I don't. <laughs> are you gonna, I wish. Do you want to say them? Can you play that song? On it. Je longe. You can't laugh. Yeah, I can. That was funny. That <laughs> no, was you funny. can't laugh. All right, go. Okay. Just keep going. <laughs> All right, everybody. Okay. J'ai l'ogné. J'avoy. Zinatziet. Rojviet. Hek. Yaviek. Dobre katsna la vie. Vas vonshin valat breau. Artsin. Prosvatsi. 
<laughs> I thought that was pretty good. Yeah, it was definitely it was, it was definitely okay. I did think about a couple of those. <laughs> it's okay. I'm glad to see that you know a little bit of Russian. Uh, yeah, from a movie. But hey, you're a powerful leader if you ever come in, in face-to-face with Sebastian Stan. Let me right. tell you that. Yeah, really. Oh my goodness gracious. That reminds me, have you guys seen the uh, Sebastian Stan's doing like a little... Um, <laughs> I don't... <laughs> When he, oh, I know what you're talking about. When he, um, he's at like that Comic Con or whatever, and that girl, the girl, this girl comes up to him and it's like, Hey, Sebastian, um, I was just wondering, I wrote something for you and I was wondering what you think about it. He goes, oh, Okay. And then she starts saying the words like, um, longing and she's like, she starts, yeah. Yeah. She, <laughs> longing, and she starts, um, she starts saying like the words and Sebastian Sam plays along with it, which I think is so cool. And he like he's breaks like, out. He's like, No stop it no seriously stop like i'm gonna freak out and then she finishes it with um like the freight car and he goes bah! and scares her and everyone goes ah! and he's like no no no, i'm just kidding it's fake it's a movie guys come on yeah ah! exactly exactly i love that yeah I, I saw that a couple days ago oh yeah that's that those are the words that zemo uh, decides his first words to be to say to bucky um first time he sees him again since the events of civil war um it doesn't work though bucky doesn't it, it doesn't work like that anymore. Um, the words are out of his head, he says. And I notice, you know, um, for those of you I don't know, I'm a film major in college. So, like, I'm learning about all this new, um, about lighting techniques and audio and whatever. And I'm seeing in the scene that, like, half of Bucky's face is lit up with lights and the other half is dark. Yeah. And that's almost, I almost want to say, you know, it's just an assumption, but that half, he still has that little bit of darkness even though it's not activated, which we see later in the episode, you know, when Zemo says, um, you need to become the person that you forgot about. Um, but you know, and that, that swell, that, that cry of the winter soldier, that soundtrack, um, it, it swells up when he starts to say the words and then he dies down as soon as Bucky, uh, tells him that he's back in control and he doesn't have that in his system anymore. Yeah. But that's, uh, yeah. And that's what I cut. I mean, I, I, and I, no, I agree with you. It's um, even since the first episode, we were saying, you know, him having those flashbacks, the nightmares and having that list of people he wants to, like, make amends to is, you know, he, he understands now and he realizes his the darkness, as one would as you would say, mm-hmm. he realizes that that's still a part of him and he wants to make it better. And, you know, but now with Zemo coming in and like you said, later in the episode, we see him, he has to, like, you know, retake that Winter Soldier idea and stuff like that. I don't think he's ever going to be able to fully leave that part of him behind. It's always yeah. going to haunt him. But um like in the nightmares we saw for sure. Right, yeah. And um there's a Gabe, I know you know a lot about this. There's a book in Zemo's cell. I think it's called Fortune is a River. Um translated mm-hmm. to English. What what is that all about? Basically, Zemo's reading this book written by Machiavelli and Da Vinci. And the book is basically describing the Machiavellian ideal about how the ends justify the means. And okay. people have interpreted this to mean this book is symbolizing that there's a partner with Zemo. Zemo isn't working alone. Mm. Basically, Zemo is the Machiavelli in this duo. He is the ends justify the means with his actions in civil war and his manipulation. And so one of the big mysteries of this series is definitely going to be who this mysterious unknown partner is that's working with Zemo and all of this. Because it was, it was, what, what's his name, Machiavelli? Machiavelli. Machiavelli, Mm. that book was written by him and then Leonardo da Vinci. Mm -hmm. 
which I think I I missed until Gabe, you told me I missed that completely. And then you said, it and I was like, oh, okay. And that did, like you said, raise a lot of questions of, is he working with somebody? And if he is, who would it be? Right. I actually, I've seen this, this isn't my theory. I've seen this out there. Um, possibly a version of Arnim Zola, his, not his obviously original true like body, but his, his computer form maybe is still out there somewhere and that could possibly, a bionic version right and that's and it, like, we see that in the comics you see like the robot head and the face on the chest of his robot body um and the the backing up of that theory is that the screenwriters for winter soldier civil war infinity war endgame uh, christopher marcus and stephen mcfeely they have stated in interviews that they would like to see Arnim Zola come back to the MCU and back to his main role somehow or some sort of cameo or something like that. So a a reference to him or even Zemo working with him could possibly maybe not be in the series, and I don't think it would be in the series, um, but maybe be in the future of the MCU, whether it's in Disney Plus or in a future film. Yeah. I did like Zemo. Um, I do like the idea, the idea that Zemo's going to come back because he was a big character in Winter Soldier. And, you know, for the, what, five, ten minutes he was on the screen, or I guess his voice was. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was a pivotal scene in the entire, for the rest of the, I mean, personally, Captain America's role and the rest of how Steve Rogers played out his life. But then the entire MCU, knowing that, you know, S.H.I.E.L.D. was infiltrated by HYDRA. And that affects a lot of the decisions that we see in Civil War. Um, when Captain America is kind of like, I don't want to sign the accords where a body of government, you know, is controlling us because in the past, the only body of government that I trusted was S.H.I.E.L.D. and that was actually controlled by HYDRA. And that's Zola's algorithm too. That's, right, that's yeah. That's the other half of the movie we find out. And, right. You know, so he is a major, major part in that. And that's actually another theory out there that possibly Arnim Zola is the power broker. You know, we've seen little mention of the power broker. Um, We see a little more in this episode, but that could be a possibility out there too, that maybe, you know, power brokers always watching is what we've seen in the credits. And, you know, Zola being in his his AI um, could possibly be maybe something out there, but we don't know yet. So, yeah. Yeah, and if we could, I'd like to speak a little more on the power broker. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there are different versions that, of him that exist in the comics. Oh. The first one is just the power broker that appears in the Ant-Man comic series. And basically, he's just portrayed as like a strange man, kind of high tech. And he creates this app for people to hire small time criminals. And he actually ends up tangling with Scott Lang and his daughter Cassie in the oh. comics. And they fight a lot. Oh, that's cool. But the version that we're probably seeing is Curtis Jackson who in the comics was addressed as the power broker, and he was just a businessman who was actually able to recreate, like in this series, a knockoff super soldier serum, and eventually takes it and actually becomes a superhero. So I think that's the version that we might see. Armzola oh. could be, but in the comics, it's definitely hinted towards Curtis Jackson. Huh. Yeah, no, and uh, I was wondering for a second there, I was like, why does Gabe know so much about the comics? But right. then I remembered, like, you have that, you and your dad both, like, have that huge like all of the Marvel comic collection and you've read like a huge majority of those yeah. too, right? Yeah. Yeah. We actually, I mean, we've collected them from various sources, but the main source, we went to Florida we found this little shop in this, in this place. And my family was actually buying like these sponges and like jewelry at a different place. And me and my dad mm-hmm. found this guy and he said like, he said he'd give us like five for like $20 and we actually bought a bunch. So I have really old, my prized one is this really old Thor one. That's one of the first sick. comics to ever mention Thor, and yeah, that's probably my favorite one. I think you showed me that, yeah. That's awesome, yeah. And, um, uh, so, yeah, we see uh, 
we see Bucky proposing this hypothetical situation to Sam about um, this really just like really specific plan to break Zemo out of prison. Um, and turns out like the you know the way he's putting it, obviously it's not hypothetical. Like it, he actually did it. It actually happened. Next thing we know, uh, Zemo walks in the room and Sam you know kind of is like what like what did you do? Why'd you do that? Blah blah blah. And he's freaking out. Um, and Zemo's like trying to put his input in and they're both like no and it's like funny and then uh okay yeah so next thing we see is uh Zemo takes uh Sam and Bucky to a garage with numerous cars and um one of them seems to be Zemo's and he reaches in he grabs some stuff and he grabs like his belongings and the next thing and last thing he grabs is his purple mask which we see in the comics which we mentioned in the first episode but um yeah that's like a huge part to uh Helmut Zemo in comics yeah. with that iconic purple mask and the trench coat with the fur collar and things like that yeah and gabe you i like i don't know if you have any of these comics but like zemo we know ends up uh leading the thunderbolts and the masters of evil eventually and those are like two iconic groups in the comics do you know anything about those i don't really know a lot i mean i've seen them briefly in comics i just know that they usually oppose. They come up in like short little cameos and they just kind of pop up all over the place and they just always serve to cause havoc when the Avengers are dealing with other things and they just always are constant trouble and of course always led by manipulative Zemo, always a leader, mm-hmm. always trouble. Okay, yeah. Well, um, uh, yeah, that was just like a little thing I wanted to mention. But um, Sam and Bucky and Zemo have, you know, like um, altercations throughout the whole episode and sometimes they're working together and sometimes they're just like getting mad at each other but uh zemo quotes um which is himself which is like a little callback to uh sokovia in uh captain america civil war when he says your friends destroyed my country he says after your friends destroyed my country um and he goes on but that's just a callback to avengers age of ultron when the avengers are trying to stop ultron and sokovia and numerous people including zemo's family are killed um, Zemo and the pilot on his plane. And by the way, Zemo is rich, apparently. Um, yeah, I know. I it something was funny. we didn't realize. Something we didn't know. It was funny because when um, when we were talking about this episode, uh, the three of us, we uh, I was like, "Wait, Helmet? Isn't his first name Baron?" And <laughs> you were like, "No, Baron's a title." And I was like, "Yeah, I know, but isn't his name Baron Zemo?" And Gabe was like, "No, his that's his title. His name is uh, Helmet Zemo, or has Helmet." Helmet Zemo, that's such a weird name. Helmet Zemo, and I was like, and I was like, that definitely explains why he has a butler and a private jet and like twelve just old cars sitting in some random garage in the middle of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the pilot, I I don't know his name. I don't remember his name if they said it, but um, when they're boarding the plane, he kind of sneers at uh, Snam or Snam. He kind of sneers at Sam um, when they're boarding. Uh, and then they joke, him and Zemo joke about serving them, like, rotten food and things on the plane. And Zemo's, like, having a good time. And the two of them are just like, I hate you to this guy. Um, we see that uh, Zemo points out that that's the same book um, that Bucky's been writing his names in to amend uh, his Winter Soldier days. Um, it's the same book that Steve used in Captain America the Winter Soldier to write down things he missed while he was in the ice for 70 years. Uh, you know, we see, like, the Trouble Man soundtrack and... Um, a bunch of things like Star Trek uh, and it kind of varies from country to country where the film was released so you see different things on the list but that's the same book that Bucky was writing in the back and um, to of the names that he needed to amend um, yeah and 
after all this, we see, we cut to, well, we know that they're going to uh, Madripoor. Um, Madripoor is a city split into high town and low town. Um, high town being high class, low town being lower class. There's really no in between. You know, you're either one or the other, or you're on the run, which we see in Sharon Carter, which we'll get to in a bit here. Um, after, or before we actually go to Madripoor, we see, we catch up with Carly Morgenthau, who's, uh, visiting Donia Madani. Is that her name, Gabe? Donia Madani? Yep, Donia Madani. That's right. And we see, you pointed this out to me, actually. Um, they actually did, right? They did reshoots for this episode because of the COVID, because of the coronavirus? For the whole series, actually, if I may. Yeah. It's hinted that there was actually an entire separate subplot within the actual Falcon and the Winter Soldier series. Oh, really? And this subplot supposedly was supposed to just be sickness spreading around but they had to alter it due to similarities with COVID-19 right. like in the first episode or maybe it's the second episode you see Bucky when they ride the back of that truck they say what are you looking at and he says they're transporting vaccines this is also hinting towards the subplot with the vaccines mm. and the sickness and the actress actually that is shown playing Mama Donya is actually a really well known actress which also hints toward the subplot and if you pay really close attention, you'll see a lot of the actors' voices change at some points because lines and entire scenes actually were re-recorded. Hmm. So the audio quality kind of varies in certain spots. And you especially see it later with Dr. Nagel when he's addressing the super soldier serum and oh. talking about Mama Donia. Yeah, um, you know, if, if I'm going to put this out there again, you know, as I'm learning more in um, the field of, like, film and videography, you know, you learn that when you're when you're matching audio to like video clips, you want to keep the same decibel level of your audio, and usually that's negative uh, six uh, decibels. You know, it's it's just like the modern for uh, PBS standard recording and stuff like that. And uh, like as you were saying, especially it's noticeable with Doctor Nagel, or when um, voices are heard off screen, it's probably a reshoot and they're just re-recording audio. Um, it's a little lower and it's a little less, a little less quality. You know, the audio is lower, so. You can kind of tell there's a little jump there, but from wherever it was, you know, zero to negative six decibels. So that's, yeah, you're right. That's a really important thing to point out. Um, but Donia, or Mama Donia, Mama Madonna, <laughs> Mama Donia, right? Yeah. Right. She, uh, she, we find out that she is on her deathbed at this point, and Carly is really um, upset. You know, she's, she, you know, like she was like a mom to them, and she wants to really at this point get out there and do what she do what she needs to do in her eyes you know because she wants to do this for her um and that's what we see with the end of carly in that scene but then we actually get to madripoor um zemo tells bucky that he needs to be something that he has really gotten rid of that being the winter soldier and he tells sam that he needs to pose as this guy named smiling tiger and smiling tiger and this guy and sam they look uh, basically identical which makes them a perfect fit for him to impersonate yeah um and we see they're they're going to meet up with this girl named selby um zemo has a lead on selby which could get her to get them uh to carly um madripoor is filled with clues hinting toward the power broker um you know there's that end credits uh text up there that says power broker is watching and then you see those little bullet casings with what we think is super soldier serum and um, that's really, you know, maybe we're wondering, will we see the power broker this episode? And the answer is no. Absolutely not. Exactly. Um, 
we're wondering, you know, who that is still. You know, maybe he's a dude. It could be a girl, or it could be something as crazy as a robot named Arnim Zola. <laughs> but um, my guess is we won't actually see that until maybe the end of episode five, maybe, or um, in episode six at some point, the final episode. And actually, at this point, we are sure that it's not a girl because Zemo, if you pay really close attention when they're in the bar in this episode, mm -hmm. he only addresses the power broker with male pronouns. And he claims to know him, and he keeps saying him and he, oh. and Sharon says that he is mad. So we can't actually cross off, because a lot of people were speculating that maybe Sharon Carter. Yeah. Well, I mean, it was a weird appearance from her, so people were like hinting towards maybe that she was the power broker. But we are actually able to say that it is male, because people who have met him only address him with male pronouns. Okay, yeah. Now that you say that, I actually do remember Zeno uh, saying yeah. that. Yeah, you're saying that. And, um... Yeah, as we're in Madriport, they meet Selby, uh, played by Imelda uh, Corcoran, I believe. And she, this version of Selby, actually, there are multiple Selbys in the Marvel comics. I do know that. Um, but this one um, maybe could be the one that originated in Marvel comic uh, Excalibur, number 104. Um, it really consists of mutants led by Captain Britain, who's uh, alias is Brian Braddock. And that was actually a little theory out there that maybe... In Avengers Endgame, um, during the second little jump in the time heist with uh, Tony and Steve, when Steve sees uh, Peggy through the window and she's talking to that one guy, people were speculating that could be Ryan Braddock, or Braddock, who is uh, Captain Britain. Um, Selby's mutant ability in the comics, as she was a mutant, was really mastery over a binary code, you know, being able to rewrite and scramble and things like that. And she was also part of the MLF. And I actually got this information from my dad, who's a really um, big uh, Marvel fan as well. And he's got a bunch of the comics uh, with him as well. MLF is the Mutant Liberation Front. And it's a group of mutants led by Strife. And Strife is actually a clone of Cable, who we see in uh, Deadpool 2, who's introduced there, who's associated with like the X-Force and things. Um, and Selby actually, we find, has a really minor role in this episode, as she's really only there for about... I want to say five minutes um, yeah. after she gets killed. But before that, as they're in the bar, they walk in the bar and we see, you know, numerous people faces and we see this one uh, hooded person who really puts their hood on and then walks away. Um, we find that to be Sharon Carter a little bit later. Um, you know, just the fact that they're hiding or she's hiding her face and we see a little bit of the hair and kind of put it together um, in a bit here. But they want to see Selby, and Zemo's insisting that they see Selby, and Smiling Tiger, a.k.a. Sam, is there, and, you know, he kind of has to prove his identity, so um, the one bartender, I think it's a snake that he cuts the, uh, I don't know what that is. I don't know what he cut, he, he cuts it, yeah, he cuts it open and takes, I want to say, I mean, it's an organ, I want to say, like, maybe the mm -hmm. liver or something, and puts it takes in it out, puts it in a drink, and, like, Sam and Zemo have this really funny scene, Zemo goes, like, cheers and chugs it and sam's like and he's Bleh. like smiling tiger your favorite that was not the right accent you know what i'm trying to get across right though, but i get it sam's like you're right i love this um and he takes it and the really now they find out that it's not working really the only way to get in to see selby is for zemo to quote unquote take control of the winter soldier again activate him and uh get him ready to comply and that's what he does uh, obviously bucky's faking the whole time but he ends up you know smashing some heads and um, not not killing anyone but just showing everyone there that he is still the winter soldier 
in order to get to Selby. And something that they didn't really mention in this um, part of the episode was that people were there, you know, with their phones, uh, recording this madness, recording this whole thing. And if that could go back and get to uh, Bucky's counselor of him violating rule number two, which is don't hurt anyone, you know, obviously his pardon is going to get, it's, it's going to be conflicted with, and that could really mess things up for him in the future, maybe at the end of the series. Um, and yeah, for people that are confused by what rule number two means, there were just certain rules with Bucky's pardon because, you know, obviously he did some atrocious things mm-hmm. as a winter soldier and there are really, really specific things in his pardon that he's not allowed to do. And of course, rule number two, as is mentioned, he's not allowed to hurt people. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, after Selby is killed, uh, there's a bounty put out on um, everybody's phones in the area in Madripoor and there's like a reward. There's a reward out there for her killer um we think i don't know i don't think we know who the killer was um but as they're running on the street you know uh sharon carter is in the window and she you know guns down the people chasing them uh them as in sam zemo and bucky and then she comes down um at gunpoint or has him at gunpoint and Jen takes off her hood and boom we see sharon carter for the first time since captain america's civil war yeah it's pretty cool I like that, yeah. I liked I liked that she when the when the trailer was released, I liked that she has a part in this because she didn't really have like that big of a role in um the Winter Soldier and then later in um No, that was it, right? It was bigger in Civil War, but she had a really minor role in Yeah. I mean, but even in Civil War, her her really main job was just breaking them out of out of that containment center and um getting you the know, Falcon Wings and the and Cap Shield back. Yeah. Same with um same with Agent Hill, like she is a big character in the MCU mm-hmm. and she never really, I mean, she's always been there, but she's never really had like that kind of limelight to um, like really go into the character and kind of express that role. And so I'm glad to see um, Sharon Carter kind of get a little bit of the spotlight and kind of show off some of her skills and stuff like that. That fighting scene is one of, is one of my favorites. Yeah. And that's where we get to next is, uh, well, before that, uh, Sharon takes them back to, um, where she's staying as a hustler in Madripoor. And uh, she's really just, uh, you know, obviously hustling and uh, stealing items that are supposed to be originals, maybe in museums or artwork or whether it's sculptures or anything like that, and um, making a living in Madripoor because she can't go back to the United States because yeah. she was an accomplice to helping cap Sam and Bucky uh, during the events of Civil War, violating the Sokovia right. Accords. And those paintings um, in there... I forget. I saw I saw a number on Instagram because I I follow a ton of accounts um, about like the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, and I saw a number, and it was like those paintings were over, I think five million dollars. Like if you look at just I think we saw like three things, mm-hmm. maybe four things, and if you assume they're all original, and you're and you assume, you know, um, like like what the selling price is for for the fake, and then you you know take it up. I forget the exact calculations, but. I think somebody totaled like her collection just out of the four things we saw over like five million dollars. Really? Yeah. Wow. So she's doing a pretty good job. So she's eh? so she's so she's living great. Exactly. Um, I would also like to point out if anybody has seen the John Wick series that's listening to this podcast, if this episode with all the neon lights and you know the close shot fight mm -hmm. scenes with the knife work and all that really cool like CGI and part real. The, that fighting and everything and the bounty concept all the, action. the this episode was actually written 
by the creator of the John Wick series. I, so the bounties and the neon lights and the fight scenes will all look really similar for anyone was, that's seen the John Wick franchise. I actually was thinking that as I was watching. I was like, this reminds me of something. And then it kind of clicked later. I was like, that was such like a John Wick scene, you know, like stabbing a pencil through somebody's eye or something. Mm. Like it just seemed very John Wick. I'm glad you said that because that just that just reminded me that yeah, it actually, um, it actually was looked exactly like John Wick. Yeah, that whole you know people see John Wick and they think action. They think this super cool movie with, you know, jam packed with all this really cool stuff the viewers want to see. And when someone uh, sees that concept and then it translates uh, from the same creators um, into the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, you know, you're gonna get that same vibe and that really translates over. Like, okay, this is making this really cool you know with all the lighting and all the action and um just all the fight choreography in itself which is really cool and we see that more um as uh sharon leads zemo bucky and sam to uh dr nagel now dr nagel we see in a bit but before we get to him we actually have to find the right um what was it like a a crate just in a crate yard yeah uh, and, and off like a shipyard yeah um and they eventually find the right door, but they go inside while Sharon stays outside, and she just she kicks everybody's tail. Exactly. She, when I say that she has the the spotlight in this scene, she alone has a spotlight. She, and this is what I'm talking about, John Wick. She just like destroys everybody. Like nobody, no other person I've seen had a chance. She was throwing knives and guns and shooting people and beating people up and. She had like a she had like a um like a metal like tube at one point like a bar. She was just like nailing people mm-hmm. with it. I loved it. Yeah, that actually reminded me. Um you know, you just talking about her fighting. You know, whenever Bucky's fighting and he sort of lashes out at as the Winter Soldier, you hear that that cry, that scream, that wow, you know? And that was actually derived by Alvin Silvestri or Alan Silvestri, excuse me, um in Captain America the First Avenger from Bucky's original fall from the train. Um, Steve said, "Grab my hand," and then he fell. His scream there was actually uh, pitched and modified and edited to create this really big swell and this cry that just gives like an uncomfortable sort of, you know, this is the Winter Soldier feeling. And every time anyone hears that now, I want to say, like speaking for you guys too, that like you're like, okay, the Winter Soldier's here. This is happening. That's awesome that 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 they use that scream. That's so that's so cool. Mm-hmm, for sure. Um, as Sharon is guarding outside, the guys are inside and they find Dr. Nagel. Um, he mentions to them that he was working on Project Rebirth before the blip. And um, Dr. Erskine, um, which we see in Captain America, the first Avenger, at least in the comics, and Nagel uh, created Isaiah Bradley, um, who we saw in the last episode, the uh, first African-American uh, super soldier. Um, and they as he was saying they were running tests and um bucky's people weren't done with them bucky's people as in hydra um maybe sort of i don't know maybe a connection between nagel and zemo here because they've been exchanging like dirty looks throughout this whole conversation you know at least once you see them make eye contact and both of them are like it's a dirty look you know you can see it's a dirty look yeah you can tell that there's definitely some discomfort maybe even some anger towards you know through those two people yeah right and nagel um was working on this super soldier serum before the blip 
and he was being funded and helped out with it. And then after the blip, the project got disbanded, you know, no one was there to really work on it. Half the population was gone. There wasn't really a point as what people thought. But as he got back, he didn't want to stop his research. He didn't want to stop trying to create this serum. So he kept going and eventually he cracked it. And um, as he cracked it, I think it was 20 vials that Carly Morgenthau stole from him. Um, the power broker, um, who I, th I want to say is the head above Dr. Nagel, or at least Dr. Nagel's working for him, was uh, really mad about that. And he wants Carly and he wants the serum because he doesn't want that to get out. Right. Um, and Isaiah Bradley's blood actually helped Dr. Nagel crack the super soldier serum. You know, he, he was a super soldier back in the day. And um, just getting a blood sample as little as that helped him figure out what he needed to do to actually create the final serum to work in this day and age. Um, as that's happening, uh, Sharon Carter is outside, you know, uh, kicking butt and taking names. Am I right? And Yes, sir. Exactly. <laughs> She, uh, she gets everyone out of there, and then she comes in, and she's like, we got to go, you know. Um, and then that's when Zemo, who finds a gun while they're talking, he kills Nagel. He just shoots him. Um, Bucky and Sam are obviously surprised. Like, not that they didn't expect something like this was going to happen, but they trusted him, and then he broke their trust even after they said, you don't do anything unless, you know, basically we tell you to. Um we hear the Winter Soldier music during the fight outside when uh, the enemy are, are fighting Bucky, Sam, and Zemo. Um, as Bucky comes and he's uh, fighting bad guys, and he takes that's when he takes a pole and he just throws it like a javelin right into a guy's chest. Um, and, you know, like that's when Zemo, I want to say before that actually, when they're all getting fired on and everything like this. Um, Sam tells Bucky to go left, and Bucky goes right um, out yeah. of there. I want to say that's a little callback to Avengers Infinity War when um, the Guardians are on uh, Nowhere and Thanos is getting the Reality Stone from the Collector, and um, Chris Pratt, Star-Lord, tells Gamora to go right, and she goes left. That's like a little thing there, and then eventually she ended up, you know, uh, getting thrown off a cliff. Getting thrown off a cliff. But yeah, um, eventually Zemo sort of disappears throughout this madness, and he comes back with his mask and his fur collar coat, and he just starts uh, killing all the people that were attacking them. And you get to see your first glimpse of action from Zemo throughout this entire um, franchise. You know, at first he was just manipulating and just doing everything, you know, behind a door, but at this point he's, you know, in the field and he's really... Uh, doing things for himself um after that he pulls up with a car a really <laughs> nice car and uh sam and bucky get in and uh sam's in the back and bucky's in the front and sam says you're not going to move your seat up are you and he's like nope which is a callback to civil war when uh sharon and steve are outside getting the gear and uh bucky says can you move your seat up and he goes no <laughs> but yeah that's pretty funny <laughs> Um, they asked Sharon to come with them, but she says, you know, um, I got to stay. And um, they had promised to her that they were going to get her name cleared for her to actually come back to the United States so she wouldn't have to worry about the Sokovia Accords violation anymore. And this is maybe when we start to think that she could be working for the power broker. Yeah. Um, you know, she's, she's staying in Madripoor. That's her choice. But maybe she has something to do with that. You know, she knows where 
Selby is. She knows Sam and Bucky and Zemo got there and everything like that. And Gabe, I know you were talking about uh, her working for the power broker or, or something like that. Like, what were you saying about that again? How it's a possibility? Yeah, I thought that she was definitely working for them because after the whole fight with Nagel and all the people with the bounty coming for Sam and the Winter Soldier and Zemo, you can see all that happening. And the aftermath, Zemo, Bucky, and Sam all drive away. And then Sharon gets into a car. And you assume it's her secretary or somebody that, you know, takes orders from her or works for her. Sharon goes, we have lots of problems. We need to deal with them. We'll talk in the car. And that makes you think that, one, she's kind of running her own operation. But then everything she does, you can tell that she's not in control. So it's really hinting towards her working for the power broker. But honestly, the whole episode shows the power broker kind of ruling over all of Magic Poor. So yeah, honestly, I think he's kind of in control of everything. Right. There's just that that overlying presence that something is, you know, in charge of the high class and, or high town and low town or maybe just high town. I don't know. He's there, though, and he's watching, apparently, is what we've seen on the street walls and things like that. Um, but yeah, so... Uh, we're nearing the end of the episode at this point, and um, Bucky, Sam, and Zemo are on their way into a building, which looks like it could, I think it's owned by Zemo. Um, it looks like it, you know, it's, it's nice. Def- yeah, he definitely knows what rich. building that is, yeah. Exactly. And rich. And they're coming in, and then Bucky says he's going to take a walk, and Sam's like, you okay? And he said, yeah. And as he's walking, um, he must have noticed these earlier because he wouldn't take a walk without noticing them but he's finding kamoyo beads um which are we we know those are wakandan beads that they use you know on their wrists or um, as wristbands or just their technology so he knows that someone from wakanda is here um and that they obviously want zemo you know uh zemo is there and he just corrupt everything throughout that whole movie um so eventually he gets there and he says uh, something along the lines of, you know, I know you're here, you can come out now. And the camera pans past Bucky to uh, Ayo, I think her name is. Yeah. Um, she was actually last seen in Avengers Infinity War fighting Corvus Glaive, who is one of the members of the Black Order of Thanos' army. Um, super OP, really cool guy. But Super great guy, really, um, really, a, really just a, a, I think a giver. Okay, and yeah, we hear... <laughs> We hear um, music from Black Panther come in there, you know, those drums, um, that classic Black Panther theme when we see Ao for the first time. Um, that That's sort of a thing that Wakanda, she's there to tell them that Wakanda won't let it go, that Zemo is free at this point. Um, and I actually had a thought, that's actually where the episode ends, but I had a thought that maybe, you know, we see in the trailer that um, Zemo's standing in front of a memorial, which we've kind of speculated to be a Sokovian memorial from Age of Ultron, and that Bucky then holds a gun up to him, and then you see the bullets um, fall on the ground with that music, and that's in the very first Disney Plus trailer when we see uh, some of Falcon Winter Soldier, some of WandaVision, and then a little bit of sneak peek at Loki, but I'd have thought maybe Bucky's there, but maybe Bucky's trying to kill Zemo in the trailer, you know, at this point, maybe he doesn't need him anymore, um, you know, maybe because they have Sharon, and they have well, he knew all along access to Wakanda or maybe things like that. But that, that's my thought on that. But anything else, guys? Uh, that's the end of the episode. 
of the actual episode. Um, but do you guys have any input for any of your opinions or theories or speculations for this actual episode or the series in itself? Yeah, I just have more to say about the Wakandan involvement in this whole thing. I mean, yeah. obviously they want Zemo back because in Civil War, it's shown that he kills King T'Chaka, Zemo does. Right. It's his bomb at the UN building that actually kills the King of Wakanda and the Black Panther's dad. He actually kills him with that bomb. And also, by sending Ayo, who, not the leader, but definitely a member, or like second in the Dormelage, right. which is like the whole female warrior tribe from Wakanda, showing them sending a member of the Dormelage shows that they're not going to take a passive approach mm -mm. to this whole Zemo situation. They're going to be combative. They're going to be aggressive. This isn't a joke to them. This is very serious. Yeah, for sure. Especially, you know, Zemo's out there posing as Bucky, and he goes ahead and kills the king of wakanda obviously they would want him they wouldn't want him to be roaming around um you know madripoor or whatever they are free you know he needs to pay for his crimes at least go back to prison or uh give have sam and bucky give them give him to the wakandans or to the dora milaje uh aiden do you have anything else to add about this episode no only that i'm excited for the next episode i'm excited to see where the rest of the series goes we definitely have a lot of theories still out there and I'm hoping in these next couple episodes, some of them kind of um, get summed up. I want to know who the power broker is. I want to see what happens with um, Wakanda and Bucky and Zemo and that whole thing. And um, I want to see a little more about uh, Carly Morgenthau. I want to see her character portrayed. I don't want to say portrayed, but like shown more. Because all we know is that she's this like struggling refugee who wants to speak for the people. But I think that just through the comics and, you know, kind of what we've seen so far, that there's a deeper, deeper level to her. And I'm hoping to see a little bit of that in these upcoming episodes. Yeah, we know what she wants to do, but we don't really know her motives for wanting to do them. Yeah. You know, we know she has the super soldier serum, or her and the rest of the Flag Smashers, but what's the purpose? You know, why why do you have this? You already have super soldiers on your side. Why, why would you need more serum to get out to whoever? You know, she doesn't want the power broker to have it, so... What's her purpose for actually taking that? Yeah, and, and we, and we see a little bit of the, um, I don't want to say motive, and technically it's not canon because they haven't included, like Gabe, you said that subplot about the vaccine and possibly the pandemic that killed Mama Donia, but um, I think that could possibly be a motive, or could have, I guess, I guess I should say, could have been a motive for some of the things she's doing. You know, she may be motivated by grief and stuff like that, just through Mama, uh, Mama Donia's death that we see in this episode. Um, but yeah, I want to see her character expanded upon a little bit because I feel like she's more than just this, like, I don't want to say supremacist, but like she is, I feel like she's more than just the character we've seen so far. Um, I think there's like deeper levels to her and, you know, things that she does and why she does them. And, uh, in the past couple and the, I don't know, it was last episode we see her blow up that, um, GRC place or was that this episode that was this episode this yeah. episode we see her blow up that GRC place and she, and her um partner is like there are people in there she goes you know this is the only language that these people these, understand. This, yeah and so I think so far the show has shown her as like this like evil kind of um, manipulative person who like wants to have her own agenda like she has different motives than the rest of the flag smashers on yeah, her side and, almost and I want to see if they take it in that direction of She's just like, you know, like like the whole show I think is kind of showing is she's using these people as a means to an end to 
and an era and go back to the blip the way she mm-hmm. was because she probably had a family and friends and stuff before that but now they're probably gone because of the grc so i'm just hoping to see a little bit more about her and maybe a little bit more about john walker because personally i think he's losing it mm-hmm. for sure i think he's gonna you know we've seen him sort of building up and bubbling up over time on the inside that maybe something you know he's so dedicated to the fact that he is now captain america that no one can really replace him is what it seems like and he's really like i said he's really conceited about it you know that's all he really cares about he he thinks we we see steve rogers as a wise you know loyal like really darn, patriotic darn near perfect person right and then we look over on the other side at john walker and he wants to live up to captain america but he doesn't have the intentions of living up to Steve Rogers, who no one can really replace. Right. You know, he his characteristics and everything, his personality are completely different than anyone we've seen in the MCU, I think. Yeah. Um, I have a question for you guys before we wrap this up. Who are your thoughts on who the power broker could be? Gabe, we'll start with you. Like, what do you think? I mean, sticking with what I said earlier... I'm still really for this Curtis Jackson character that we've seen in the comics, Mm -hmm. but I would love to see in some form Hydra be in charge of the events going on in Madripoor, whether it be Arnim Zola or perhaps even the Red Skull, who we're not sure is bound to the Soul Stone anymore because of the events of both Infinity War and Endgame. And I mean, his mention is made on the airplane. I mean, Zemo mentions how Bucky was sent to fight the red skull i mean he makes mention of him Mm -hmm. so the fact that he's mentioned in the show could mean a possible cameo or even involvement the events going on but i still would like to stick with curtis jackson yeah yeah and about the red skull we haven't you know both times we saw the soul stone get taken in infinity war and endgame we never saw the red skull after the stone was taken after the sacrifice was made so who either he's dead or he's free and now living again in this era and that's something that I think that fans would love to see him make a return, whether it's a cameo or a full-time appearance um, or something like that. Uh, yeah. Aiden, what do you think about the Power Broker? Uh, I don't really know much about the comic book character. I I don't know. I want it to go in the direction of Zemo because I feel like you know he's one of my he's one of my favorite people that we've a villain. I guess we should I guess I should say seen so far in the MCU. Um, the way he just kind of like was in the background and you never really noticed and. Then, boom, he kind of just pops up and is like, boom, I was here the entire time and I messed up everything. Ha ha. Mm. I feel like that could be happening now. We don't know who the power broker is. We don't know, um, like, what his motives are, what he's doing and why. But I feel like that's kind of Zemo's stick. Or stick, I should say, is, you know, that entire time he was with S.H.I.E.L.D. and working on certain projects for S.H.I.E.L.D. and, you know, operating loyally we thought inside of the u.s government he was secretly you know doing things for hydra and acting like that creating the uh the zemo the zemo uh blanking on the name there the zemo code zola's algorithm the zola algorithm thank you he's kind of working in the background so i would like to see him make a make an appearance as the power broker just because it would kind of bring back that idea that he was working in the background the entire time Mm -hmm. but um realistically i think it's going to be the comic book character just because that seems like a more uh, like I said, realistic outcome for the show. And I don't think the power broker is going to play a big part outside of the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. I don't think he's going to become like a bigger villain. Right. Um, Just like what we saw with Agatha Harkness. Right, exactly. She, we never knew who she was. I mean, people knew who she was, but we never knew who she was inside the franchise until she was actually introduced. Right. 
which I think uh, going like going a little off topic, I think that she will definitely be making an appearance, whether it's in Doctor Strange two or in the future because of what Wanda said, which is well, I'll be seeing you. Plus all this stuff about her, you know, maybe summoning summoning um Mephisto Mephisto for Wanda and all this other stuff, but. I would like it to be Zemo, but like I said, realistically, it's probably going to be more towards the comic book character, just mm-hmm. because I don't see the power broker being that big of like a person in the, like farther we get into the MCU. Um, but yeah, like I said, I'd like it to I'd like it to be Zemo just because it would kind of make sense that we don't know who he is, we don't know what his motives are, but we know he's there. Just like in Winter Soldier, there's this like background person that's kind of controlling everything and controlling what Hydra does, and we're like, who is he? Why? Mm-hmm. And then we find out it's Zemo, and he's just been trying to continue what the Red Skull started. So, yeah, I think um, I I want to see something along the lines of Zola personally, but I this isn't my speculation or theory, but I've seen this out there is that possibly it could be uh, the Mandarin, and we saw a glimpse at the Mandarin in Iron Man three, you know, who has ended up being Aldrich Killian, but you know it wasn't really the true Mandarin, you know, we've seen it, that we know in the comics and everything, and. Uh, the Mandarin has a deal with the Ten Rings, which we first saw ever in Iron Man 1, but which we are going to see in uh, the upcoming MCU movie, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. So uh, either the Mandarin's going to intru- be introduced in there, which I think is a very high possibility, or possibly he could be affiliated with uh, the Power Broker or being the Power Broker himself, uh, something along the lines of that. Uh, I want to end this episode with just something to put out there is that um, mainly dealing with John Walker, you know, heroes, uh, become known as like idols. Um, people look up to them, you know, they're, they're there, they're the face of, in Captain America's case, the country. But as these heroes are built up and people, you know, sort of praise them and like love them and want to see more of them doing good and fighting evil and things like that, their flaws begin to be, um, concealed, you know, sort of hidden. And, you know, people who, like in Sokovia, see destruction and death and things like that, but outsiders think that the heroes like tried their best and they're fu- they fought the fight and they dealt with the evil and boom, it's over. But for the insiders, you know, it's still there. And, um, you know, the death doesn't go away and things like that. So I think that because John Walker was introduced as the new Captain America, people love Steve Rogers so much that they think it's going to be similar, that they think he's going to be the same guy. But we all know that to be completely wrong. So I think that, you know, John Walker's going to be making flaws, and he already has been. You know, his motives, his, the way he talks, the way he works, um, as we even saw at the beginning of the episode when he um, confronted that guy in the uh, refugee camp. But that is where we're going to end it for today. So, Gabe, thank you for hopping on. I'm, I'm glad that we got you in, wired in through the phone here. Yeah, really. Just thankful for the opportunity to be here, honestly. Oh, you sucker. Yeah, and we'll see. Gabe, we'll have you on here next time, too. Um, I don't know if you're still out of town, but we'll definitely get you in here. Aiden and I are going to be headed out. So thank you, everybody, for listening to this episode of Aerial Oversight. And we will see you in the next episode. Have a good one. Have a good one.